Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 112. I'm your host, Nicola seaton Clark. A quick heads-up, Fablers, will be open for submissions this week, starting on Friday, July the 1st. Visit our submissions page on our website for details. We hope your summer is going well. Rest assured, we're here to help you beat the heat and have something to listen to on your holiday travels. Let's begin with The Pixie Game by Anna Zumbro. Anna lives in Washington, D.C. Her work has appeared in Cricket, Daily Science Fiction, Fantasy Scroll and other publications. You can find her online via the link in the show notes. Her story is read by a newcomer to the Triple F, Benny Matisish. Benny was born during the information age of the second millennium. She is a graduate of Warren Wilson College in North Carolina, where she studied theatre, English and creative writing while playing with power tools on a daily basis. Her favourite was the skill saw. Benny has primarily worked as a stage actress and is new to the world of voice acting. Currently she resides in northern Michigan, where she is a mere mortal by day and one of the world's best waitresses by night. She loves good beer, good stories and bad jokes, such as why did the psychic decide to start podcasting? She had a very positive oral sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now let's play the pixie game. The rain has stopped shortly before the dismissal bell rings, and the ground is spongy and quivering with worms. Someone taps Gage's shoulder. He spins around and sees Dasha, her mouth upturned at some private joke. We're playing the pixie game. Want to come? It's the third time someone has talked to him at this school, and the first time he's been invited to do anything. He follows her, half-running, to the hedges surrounding the playground. Ivor and Jack are already waiting at the greenest part of the hedge. Gage has never spoken to either of them, but he's noticed that everyone laughs at Ivor's jokes, whether they're funny or not, that even fifth graders defer to him in the lunch line. Ivor nods at Dasha and turns to Gage. He grins. Hey, new kid. You go first. Okay. 
Gage approaches the hedge, ready to thrust his hand through the branches on the count of three. Am I going against you? What? Didn't you ever play before? Show him, Jack. Jack puts his face close to the leaves and sticks out his tongue. Gage sees a rustle and a flash of green, then a tiny figure clinging to the tip of Jack's tongue before it retracts. Jack's cheeks bulge. His closed mouth forms a crooked line of disgust as his jaw moves up and down. Then he swallows. You ate it? At Gage's old school, the pixie game meant putting your fingers into the bushes and waiting while the pixies bit and latched on. When you couldn't take it anymore, you pulled your hand out. If you had more than your opponent, you won. This way wasn't really a game. It was a dare. Gage hates the sight of the pixies, with their glassy wings and tiny naked human limbs and horrible red-eyed insect heads. But this is his fifth school, and he knows the price of refusing a dare. He turns his face to the hedge and leans forward. Even squinting cross-eyed, he can't see the pixie that bites him. He only feels the tiny fangs pierce his tongue, cold pinpricks like splinters of ice. He gasps and swallows, forgetting to chew. The creature is a lump of limbs and flapping wings in the back of his throat, and Gage doubles over, gagging, trying to dislodge it one way or another. It would be okay if he coughed it up. Everyone would at least know he tried. At last he stands, coughing a few more times to clear his throat. Dang! You downed it whole. Ivor slaps him on the arm, and Gage knows he's in. Dad prepares lamb and feta goes le May, Gage's favorite, for the third night in a row. A sharp pain stabs him in the stomach. It must have been obvious that his pants are hanging loose, that his dinners have gone uneaten most nights for the past two weeks, despite his artful rearrangements of food. Gage cuts the pastry with the edge of his fork and feels the piercing pain again. He is almost hungry enough to eat, but not quite. Eating only makes it worse. Talk to your teacher today. Dad's voice is full of cheer, the kind that exists only to mask concern. He said you seem like you're adjusting okay. Said you've made friends. Gage nods. The day after swallowing the pixie, he sat at Ivor's lunch table. Dasha and Jack fought to be his partner in gym class. Every day since, he's enjoyed the kind of respect he only dreamed of at his other schools. Yet loneliness grips his hand more tightly than ever. It is strange to be lonely, because now he is never alone, not even for a second. You don't seem happy, though. Gage tries to smile. He knows Dad feels guilty about having to move each time he gets a promotion. He opens his mouth to tell his father this is the best school yet when the pixie jabs him again. The librarian seemed bored when he asked how long pixies could survive in a person's stomach. The book he checked out held no answers, but one passage haunts him. Like elephants and wolves, pixies mourn their dead. Gardeners often find pixie skeletons beneath cairns of sticks and leaves. Dad spears the last piece of gauze and pops it into his mouth. So what's wrong? Nothing. I'm just tired. Gage stands up and the world turns dark as he walks right into the floor. It's not an unusual game for children his age. Dr. Anand's voice swoops between stresses on not an unusual as she motions for Gage's father to sit down. She places her hand on Gage's shoulder and squeezes. Usually, it resolves itself. In this case, a simple surgical procedure will set him right. 
She dims the lights to show the x-ray of Gage's stomach and points out tiny white marks identifying them as pixie bones. And here is the skull, tapping a small white oval. Gastric acid will have dissolved the rest, but pixie bones are notoriously durable. She smiles at Gage. Don't worry, there's no chance it's alive. Gage shifts in his seat. The sharp scratching in his stomach grows stronger, but he decides it's just nerves. He's never had surgery before. In the operating room, a new doctor tells him to count backwards from 100. His eyelids grow heavy by 95. When he awakens, still counting, he sees Dad holding a teddy bear. The pain has dulled to a ghost of its former self, but it is still there, a drumbeat keeping time to his heart. Dr. Anand enters, holding a bag of tiny bones. You can relax now. They're all gone. See? Can I keep them? I suppose. Gage reaches out the hand that does not have an intravenous drip. He will return to the green hedge at school and build a tiny cairn of sticks and leaves. He hopes it will be enough. <laughs> Those of you who are parents know two things are almost certain when it comes to kids. They will do anything on a dare, and that means sooner or later, you're going to have to take one to the emergency room. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our feature tale this week is Greener Pastures by Michael J. Martinek. Michael's latest novel, The Milkman, a murder mystery set in a world with no governments, won a gold medal from the Independent Publisher Book Awards and was also a finalist in the Eric Hoffer Awards. His previous novel, Cinco de Mayo, was a finalist for an Alberta Reader's Choice Award. He has written for DC Comics, several fiction and non-fiction magazines, the Urban Green Man Anthology and two urban fantasy novels for young readers. Michael has a degree in English and economics, but has worked in advertising for several years. 
He lives with his wife and two children on Grand Island, New York. He can be found online via the link in our show notes. Our reader for this story is Catherine Logan. A regular in the District of Wonders, Catherine had many years of training in theatre and voice in her youth, and then many years of teaching acting, drama, writing and English literature as a grown-up. She has taken plenty of workshops and has studio experience in narration, commercial and animation voiceover work. Catherine is now involved in a second career, which takes her back to her first love. And now, Greener Pastures. Esther's pine green boots swung together from the cab, planted on the curb, and let her blossom from the door. She stretched and opened and engulfed what pitiful level of sunlight managed to ricochet down to street level in this song of concrete, glass, and steel they called a city. Loveless, she said, looking up at her destination. She adjusted her skirt and jacket, green so dark as to seem black in the dull autumn day. Primping, her left upper lip curled like ivy round a twig. She never primped. Usually. Except, she admitted, for today. Esther jangled her blonde curls. The flow of pedestrians crossing the sidewalk paused, curious and smiling. Seven pigeons landed before her, limning a runway between her and the gray revolving door she eyed. The door rotated to match her stride. She crossed the tiled lobby toward a white plastic arch, attended by 220 pounds of male muscle obstructed by a blue shirt and badge. She winked. The guard smiled. How sad, she said, passing under the arch. A trellis with no roses. Esther breezed by the receptionist's desk, past the battery of elevators for the worker bees, to the end. There stood a nickel plate, shy of buttons or knobs, a piece of disastrously plain art made to seem like anything but a lift. Whoa! Whoa! Esther heard from behind her. Can I help you? The woman's voice, and rapidly clicking heels, made it a question in only the most mechanical of terms. Yes, Esther said, looking back over her shoulder, letting both sides of her mouth curl at you. You can make this thing go. Oh, the receptionist, tight in her black poly blend, straightened and slowed, her mouth so like that of a newborn bunny. Certainly. The receptionist waved a slice of plastic tethered to her wrist. Is there anything else I can do for you? You could text that boy from Saturday night, Esther said. You want to. Whatever shame you imagine will wash away in a flood of delight, if you let it. The polished nickel art swooshed to the left. Esther stepped into the elevator and turned. The receptionist mouthed, Thank you. The door closed, and the chamber launched upwards. Cold, Esther commented. Six sides of steel, bereft of ornament, divergent texture, or relief of any kind. She was never partial to confined spaces, and this vehicle squeezed her mood. The walls cut her off. 
loosed her from the world while confining her at the same time, free and trapped, free and trapped. The paradox nibbled at her confidence. And she primped for this. No, Esther stomped a foot, shook her curls, and cocked one hip. The elevator slowed to a pillowy halt. The door slid away, and Esther emerged into a reception area. White carpet made of synthetic fibers? Really? More metal and shine, not a hint of paneling anywhere, even beyond her sight. She could not smell a speck of wood above the twenty-fifth floor. A young man at a glass table glanced up from his glowing tablet. His face opened in surprise, like a tulip touched by the morning sun. Uh, good afternoon. I was about to get the door for me. Esther finished his sentence. She aimed herself at the double doors. Frosted glass. What a waste of human ingenuity. Why go through the trouble of creating transparent material and then muck it up? The young man sprang like a squirrel and pulled open the doors with speed to match Esther's. Through the open doors she saw eight-foot windows, twenty-four feet abreast, with a view over and through a maze of metal out to the ocean. Before them stood a desk, roughly carved stone, akin to an altar, she thought. Between the stone and glass sat a mesh chair. In that sat a man with wonderful shoulders and a lion's mane of hair. She entered, passing off the carpet and on to the black and white marble. The fist thunk of her boot made the man spin. Eyes dark under caterpillar eyebrows, he dealt a frown from beneath his wild, wheat-colored beard, paused and transformed his bark to a belly laugh as it burst. Hello, Jack! Esther sauntered. She hadn't sauntered in forever. She had, until that moment, not fully known if she could or would saunter, flirty and provocative and slightly obtuse. Oh, <laughs> Oh, my, what a sweet breath of fresh air, Jack stood. How did I not catch wind of this? I try to keep to myself, Esther smiled. You seem to be doing the same, in the extreme. Jack bowed his head a few notches. Mm, I've been busy. I can see, she stopped and waited. What is this thing you've got going on? A shrub fund? Hedge, Jack motioned to two opposing couches off to the left, but close enough. Esther acknowledged the couches, gray, upholstered in some oil derivative she did not care to discern. A steel puzzle of a table crouched between the two pieces. On the table was a glass dome, a kind of turned-over bell jar. Inside floated a single U.S. dollar bill. It fluttered slightly not sure if it wanted to rise or fall. Jack bellowed, Kyle, sparkling water. They sat facing each other. Esther chose the side that let her see the sea. How did you find me? Jack asked. A little bird told me, Esther answered. <laughs> of course, of course. Good grace. How long has it been? 
several turns, several hundred, and why, you enchanting shower of sunshine, why, you tell me, Esther settled in, slithering an arm across the back of the couch, and I don't mean that rhetorically, you tell me, what's going on, Jack? The young man from the hall, Kyle, she presumed, rushed in with a silver tray, two glasses and a bottle of water. He tried to watch where he stepped without taking his eyes from Esther. She rolled her own. She'd be drenched if this kid couldn't keep his composure. Just set it right there, Jack pointed to the end of the couch. Kyle set it down and backed out of the room, leaning forward, smiling at her as he closed the two frosted doors. Esther worried he might cut his head clean off. You're looking well, Jack stated. Not that I'd expect otherwise. There is certainly no lack of fecundity in the world. Depends on your tastes. For instance, if you enjoy feeding off tamarind sex, I suggest you get your fill now. A city block of their habitat burns away every second. Every second, Jack. How can you stand for that? Human copulation is more than making up for it. You are obviously not wasting away. Nor you. You sound surprised. I am a little, Esther said. I have expected a dull, listless version of yourself, what with the way you've let things go. Perhaps I haven't. He flashed his eyes, eyebrows bouncing. Oh, but you have. This globe loses three billion tons of vegetation every lap it completes round its sun. That is an enormous loss of energy to you. Thank you for your concern, but I'm doing just fine. And you? I came to this fortress against nature to talk about you. <laughs> you came here because you're feeling the pinch. There exists less of what you like in the world. Yes, Esther snapped. The spice, the flavor. There is less diversity in the realm of procreation, and I don't care for it at all. Who would? And if there were such beings, I would never, ever guess to count you amongst them. Funny, Jack's beard twitched, broadcasting what Esther assumed to be a smirk. You are here because of me, and I am here because of you. I don't understand. Forgive me, Jack motioned to the tray and glasses and bottle of water. Far be it for me to stand in the way of hydration, he uncapped the bottle. Esther watched the water fold itself into a sinewy arch and dive into the crystal rocks and glass. I remember when we opened here. Such a robust plain, rich and luscious and untapped. Unfathomable possibilities, Jack handed Esther her drink. I remember being dizzy. Such a spectrum, you know. I thought you were so brilliant, focusing on the flora. We walked through that patch of quaking aspen, and you said, This energy will flow forever. You tuned right in and started feeding on that wealth of plant life power, and you thrived. You've thrived better than any of us. Not you, Jack said. My feet is never steady. Not like yours. Mine comes in bursts. But such exquisite bursts. So forceful. So intoxicating. You've changed, Jack. Only the dead don't. 
I mean changed your tune. Esther raised a cross leg and tapped the glass dome with the tip of her boot. The dollar shook, then steadied. Is that what this is about? What? I can't help but notice that the deforestation of the planet has an inverse relationship to the rise of the financial class. Humans pave over meadows, lay ribbons of rock over field and forest, and in place of the oaks and evergreens they once revered, they have inserted their own form of greenery. Esther kicked the dome with her heel. Jack caught it with one hand. He spun it around his index finger, the dollar inside flipping and flailing. He set it back down on the coffee table. The bill evened out, resuming its height three-fifths up from the base. You have retuned, Esther said, and I've come to convince you to tune back. You did such a magnificent job nurturing your stock, growing, feeding, protecting, never siphoning off more than you needed. Under your care, Flora covered the globe and enriched everything else in its wake. Until now. Now it recedes slowly, slowly. My treat, Jack cut her off, ever so slowly. You came here because I am ever so slightly limiting your variety of flavors, never considering for a second that I might feel the same. The slow, steady stream of nutrient from these plants is numbing. It satiates, but it never excites. And it never undulates or oscillates. It's just the same all the time, turn after turn. Once again, the dirty ball of iron round the pretty little star. Yawn. But it can't continue this way. Sure it can. The humans will figure it out. Why should I stay the caretaker, sucking on the same straw forever? Lucy constantly lays out new banquets of hate. Getting this group to hate that group and that group to hate another, never succumbing to boredom. She can't be good for your stock. But I don't see you brightening her door. Actually, you'd be surprised. Sex and hate are far from mutually exclusive. And I have paid her a visit quite recently. Oh, said Jack. How is the little devil? Subtle. No more horns and wings. You see, even we change. Eidolon has moved on, manufacturing new feasts of fear. Eric's got men openly loving men and women openly loving women. It's beautiful. Why should I deny myself the piquant spikes of life you all relish? Money, Esther exclaimed. How can you even feed on currency? Currency causes current, just like sex, hatred, and fear. It can't be better than your pastures. There is no froth or frenzy. If anything, the struggle for wealth is more plodding than the growth of the grasslands. You are a fool, Jack. A fool to give up such a potent source. Swap with me, Jack extended his hand. You've had sex for centuries. Swap with me. Tune into the ferns and flowers, the palms and pines. Sip their constant energy exchange. And let me tune into the frolic. Esther looked into Jack's green eyes. She moved nothing, not even her eyelids. Jack closed his hand and settled back against the couch. I thought not. I wouldn't if I were you. I wouldn't if I were any of the others. You should be proud, 
Esther said. Look at all you've done. The humans have made caretaker part of their languages. They still produce your image. Rarely. And for the wrong reasons. Besides, look at all I've done since. The dollar leads the world. In the time since I started my experiment, I've tripled the percentage finance can claim from the world economy. Can you hear yourself? Finance? Economy? Hear myself? <laughs> I'm proud of myself. I nurtured and grew those concepts like any elm ever under my eye. Without your care, the humans will die off. Esther's voice deepened, taking your concepts to the grave. Jack settled back into the rubbery cushion. He tipped his head to admire nothing in the ceiling. There was, Esther knew, without looking, nothing to admire. The humans, Jack mused. Like I said, they take care of things. Better than me in the end. This is not a lament, but a fact. I had this idea many turns ago, this idea of changing my tune, to fomenting a source of passion. They thwarted me. They invented democracy and spread it across the globe with more veracity and more ubiquity than any spore or pollen I'd ever tried. So I countered. I put my shoulder to capitalism. I linked the two like oxen and plowed plot after plot of humanity. It ends now, Esther said with enough conviction to make Jack sit up and fix his eyes on hers. We've all agreed. A black hole appeared between Jack's beard and mustache. All? I've visited everyone, and we are in full agreement. We can't force you to retune. We can brandish other forms of persuasion. You can't. Your machinations never went unnoticed. We've watched you. We thought you might come round yourself, but no longer think that. So we've decided to take action. There is none to take, Jack sneered. We are going to move the humans away from the use of money. <laughs> Ridiculous. We started the effort some time ago. Money is nothing. It's things and power and love people want. We are establishing other means of delivery. We are cutting you out, Jack. We? There is no we. You've forced our first consensus, Esther said. It turned out to be easier than we imagined. Because so many hate change, Lucy is content. For Eric, there will be more love. Eidolon can find new fears and your old friend's spirit will feed on new forms of faith. This will happen. We will continue to move further and further from material money until the very concept is a shadow of a memory. Poof! Then it is gone. Esther leaned forward, the irritation in her face fading to sympathy. You've lost. Please consider your options. Jack leaned forward his eyebrows sinking, weighing down his brow, his lips protruded through the gap in his facial hair, pressed and pouty. Then he tossed his whole body back and laughed. Arms flung out, feet rat-a-tatting the floor. Esther popped straight and froze, ears forward, eyes seeming to double in size. 
<laughs> you, you call me the fool, Jack said between chortles. I'm very glad I didn't remove you at that first affront. I would have missed this. He leveled his head, eyes again on Esther. I don't feed on money. Like you said, money is a means. It was never my focus. Before the world started shouting liberty, equality, fraternity, I prepared to harvest fields of haves and have-nots. The humans set me back a step. I had to dose my stock with capital and labor, pry the differences with cash. What are you talking about? What I started talking about when you arrived. You are here because of me. Because you want me to watch over the trees. I am here because of you. Because I want something more. Capitalism has been so keenly effective for my needs. It's a world of winners and losers. And the more you win, the easier it is to keep on winning. It drives such monstrous divides. Jack stood. He clasped his hands behind his back and walked to the wall of windows. He gazed out. Esther gazed at him. You brought me here, Jack said, to this point. I wanted so much to have what you have. The fet of passion. And it occurred to me, whilst lost in my reverie of envy, that I could use what ailed me. See what I've grown? Can you smell my new crop? A world of the new green. A world ripe with jealousy. We really enjoyed this story's inventive mix of the Green Man mythology and deconstructed Garden of Eden tropes. Well done, Michael. Thanks for letting us take a crack at it. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. Also, please consider making a donation via our Patreon page. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. This all means that you can download the content, you can share it with anyone you like, but you can't change it and you cannot sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be fed to primary school children. Speaking of primary school children, I'm off to go and deal with the very first day of school holidays. So, wish me luck, Fablers. I'll see you all next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.